jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. Arts and culture. Style Philosophers with Michael Paris is sponsored by The Bubble Collection, a fragrance collection that's genderless, ageless, and boundless. Scents that are so light, they'll just tease the air around you and others. Break out of your bubble, where you can dream, wonder, and create harmony. For more information about The Bubble Collection, go to thebubblecollection.com and follow them on Instagram at The Bubble Collection. Ladies and gentlemen, Style Philosophers with host Michael Paris on jasoncharles.net. Hello, and welcome to Style Philosophers on jasoncharles.net podcast network. I'm your host, Michael Paris, and thank you for joining me. In this episode, I have a guest that is sure to shake things up from the world of mixology. We're going to be muddling through a style topic that is of great interest to me, cocktails. We have with us a cocktail evangelist and educator in cocktail disciplines and history, Rebecca Pinnell. In this program, we will be exploring the style of cocktails through Rebecca's passion for mixology. Hospitality is a love language for her. She absolutely delights in the chance to offer people a journey through party, service, food, and beverage. Welcome, Rebecca, to Style Philosophers. I'm so excited to be able to mix things up and learn about cocktails from you. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, Michael. I love all those puns you just threw out there. So great. I love puns and I love double entendre. So here we are. And Rebecca, before we get started, let's give our listeners some of your background. Is that okay? That sounds great. Thanks. Rebecca began her career in hospitality over 15 years ago and has been a mixologist and educator since 2014. Her career truly began to flourish in New York City, where she worked at Barbudo, the Red Cat, Maialino, and Dante. In 2018, she moved to San Francisco to open Bon Voyage, where she was the bar manager. Endless curiosity has been the driver of her passion for education in both receiving and teaching. Pre-COVID, she taught classes in private clubs in San Francisco and trained bar staff in cocktail history and disciplines. When COVID shut everything down in 2020, she crafted her virtual cocktail class business and has taught over 400 classes. During this episode, we will learn about the style of cocktails as well as the science, discipline, and philosophy behind them from Rebecca. Rebecca is also going to mix things up for us and give us a seasonal cocktail. So let's just jump right into this. Rebecca, I'd like to sort of define a few things. First of all, what is the difference between a bartender and a mixologist? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. Uh, it's sort of, what comes to mind first is like a chef, right? Like a bartender is a person who is combining ingredients and making cocktails for guests and doing it all under the guise of hospitality. And a mixologist uh, takes notes from being a chef in, in, in ways where we 
we think more about um, produce and what's in season and we think about layers of flavor. We think about the science behind making cocktails and using science to craft some cool syrups or to like uh, clarify a cocktail, removing all its color. And that's sort of the difference. It's sort of the, a deeper passion and a deeper dive into the craft of bartending. Fascinating. When did you realize you were passionate about mixology? Oh, you know, it. I, I've been working in hospitality for 15 years and it, I, I've been passionate about the industry for so long. It comes from like my passion for food first and and learning from chefs and making friends with chefs and, and just understanding like every single ingredient in a salad dressing, I would be tested on that. And I just used that knowledge to make food for myself at home. And then as I got behind the bar, I used that same concept of, again, fresh produce and I mean, and layering of flavors and ingredients, and 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 that's sort of what's carried me uh, through through the waves. Has been the passion. Interesting. Some call you a cocktail evangelist. Uh, explain that to us. <laughs> you know, so when I was younger, um, I was I was actually a, a Protestant Christian missionary in Poland. Um, wow. And, and I wasn't I was an actual evangelist for for quite some time. And that's that's changed since. I'm no longer religious. Uh, my my spirituality practices have evolved uh, significantly, but. Once an evangelist, always an evangelist in some degree. I, I just am so passionate about humans and humanity and food and celebrations and coming together. And that's sort of where they, the, that's where I got the phrase cocktail evangelist thrown at me um, because it comes from a passion of wanting to educate people and include people and have community with people all through uh, the, the vehicle of cocktails. I love that. And I love that your journey has taken you in uh, down this path. That's just, you know, phenomenal because, you know, what a way to fellowship uh, <laughs> than to share a cocktail. So I'm right with you. Uh, you can evangelize uh, me all you like. Um, <laughs> you know, I've always loved cocktails, the look of them, the sound they make when they're being made, the environment uh, they're in when they're being served barware, choosing the right glass, flavors, what people choose to drink based on what they're going to be eating or even how they're dressed. It's fascinating. Uh, cocktails are fun, creative, and glamorous all at the same time. All of that sort of comes with you know great skill on the mixologist's part, and there has to be an education there with that. Uh, you're a cocktail educator. How did you evolve into becoming a cocktail educator? It started with like, just from my youth, I, I was always, I've just been a natural leader and I've always, I'm like endlessly curious. Ask my parents. They struggled with me as a child asking why all the time. And, uh, and so uh, that, that's where it starts. It just started with, with like a passion for like, just being like, I, ha I have, a, I have a great idea about how to go about ex executing this idea. And so then I would spend hours learning how to do it the best I could. And then I would teach people how to do the things I've learned. And so, um, yeah, since childhood, I've been a teacher in, in many ways. Uh, but, but that comes from the, the vehicle of, of, of wanting to learn. I have a curiosity, I have hunger and a curiosity for learning first. And so, um, as I've moved up my ladder, up the ladder in, in the hospitality industry, um, I got more and more opportunities to teach other bartenders the things I was learning about. And, and that's sort of where it starts. Terrific. Well, I want you to educate us a little bit and tell us briefly, what is the history of the cocktail? Mm, so the cocktail sort of, uh, it, it, it started out as like really a punch bowl. 
basically uh, alcohol was being moved from sea to sea. And in the process of moving alcohol in barrels on the sea, it, um, uh, the maturation of the alcohol in the barrel happens very quickly at sea because of the pressure, because of the movement and the temperature that happens on the boat. And what would happen is back in the day, alcohol didn't taste that good. And people were trying to find ways to mask the flavors. That's sort of where you get a cocktail is because uh, I think prohibition time, people were making alcohol in a bathtub, for example. That didn't taste great. And that's where you see mm. like orange and cherry added to old fashions to give them flavor that's actually delicious. But wow. originally, though, this alcohol from the barrels didn't taste that great. And the people who were traveling on boats were getting scurvy, which comes from not having vitamin C or fresh fruits or vegetables in your diet. And so... Uh, some research resolved that citrus was needed in these people's diet so they would live. And so you start seeing citrus being added to alcohol. And then when these boats were going to new ports, like say India, they were getting sugar and spices. And so they were combining all those ingredients to make what we would kind of call a cocktail today, but they were actually serving it in like large punch bowls that would be shared amongst a community of people drinking. And then you sort of see the cocktail, um, it's it sort of mentioned in writing the first time in the 1800s. And it, it's sort of the first time you see a single serving of a beverage versus these punch bowls that, that were meant to be for a large gathering. Wow, and then we have the invention of ice. Ooh! <laughs> of ice, there's this man named Frederick Trudor. He's the ice king. But y'all have a chance to check him out. Frederick Trudor, Truly remarkable, but he was like 16. He lived in, in Massachusetts, I believe, and they had a lake and that would freeze in the winter and they would they would like cut blocks of ice off of the lake and save it in their barn to like preserve their food for the year. And they had this idea, what if we tried to sell this ice to people in the West Indies, they would die for this. And so they tried to sell it. It wasn't so successful, but uh, fast forward at one point, he moved like one, uh, I don't know, like, like a ton of ice from Boston to Calcutta, which reopened trade routes between the two places because of ice and people. He's the reason. He's the reason for ice. Check him out. Frederick Tudor. Unbelievable. It seems <laughs> like we could do a whole podcast just on him and ice. It's amazing. So, you know, cocktail making might seem like just mixing a vodka or a tonic, but it's much more than that. Cocktail making is known to be a science and not just because it's magical powers to uplift moods all over the place, but a good cocktail when mixed well with the right amount of concoction or ice uh, can be an ultimate crowd pleaser. And I know it's pleased me many times. So if you're looking to expand our knowledge of cocktails, we need to understand a little bit more about alcohol and the flavors and the and uh, how it's all blended. Let's talk a little bit about the science of blending flavors. Talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, what does that mean? Yeah, the science of blending flavors. So there is the science behind balanced cocktails. A balanced cocktail is when you have the right proportion of alcohol, citrus, and sugar. Um, and if you hit the right proportions of those ingredients, you're going to have a cocktail that is not too sour or too sweet or too strong. And your cocktail is balanced where you're, there's a, a seat at the table for all the flavors and on the palate. So that, that's, that's, the base, that's the baseline of, of the science of blending flavors. But it goes deeper than that. Um, and, and sort of like my style philosophy behind blending those things is about um, bringing in thing, what I call what we call modifiers in the industry. So you have your base spirit, which is like tequila, rum, vodka, whiskey, gin. 
And then there's modifiers, which are these other sort of alcohols that are usually added to the base spirit to add layers of flavor. Sometimes vermouth is an example of a modifier. Vermouth is drank on, on ice in, in, many, in many places, but you can use vermouth as a modifier in a cocktail to add this cool layer of dryness or sweetness to a cocktail. Um, and I really love using modifiers. Uh, my, my, back, my background is Italian. I've worked in a lot of Italian restaurants, uh, focusing a lot on fresh produce and ingredients, but also tons of Italian spirits, liqueurs, amaros, aperitifs behind the bar. Love and it. so oftentimes uh, my cocktails will feature those types of spirits because they add such depth of flavor. Oftentimes it can be orange flavors, it can be florals, it can be bitter. Um, but if you add a small splash of those, you're going to be able to um, add more layers of flavor without um, adding too much sugar or, um, or taking away too much from the base spirit of the cocktail. I'm on a whole Amaro kick right now myself. So this is, you know, really interesting that I never thought of it, that it is a modifier. It's something that really just heightens, heightens the drink and takes it to another place altogether. Um, tell us about some of the most popular modifiers. Mm, the first thing that comes to mind, St. Germain, that delicious floral modifier out of, coming out of France. That's that's one that sneaks in a lot, especially during spring and summer season. Put Elderflower, a, right? Yeah, elderflower. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Put a splash of that in your old fashioned. Add a splash of it to your margarita. Get some dried flowers or some um, edible flowers. Add it to your cocktail glass. That's a stunning experience. Um, other modifiers that are pretty popular. We talked about this a bit, like aperitifs, like Aperol, Capoletti, Lillet. Those are really beautiful, light floral, citrus, bitter. But another thing I would say, I, I like I like like creme de banane or like a passion fruit liqueur. Those um those are those are really popular behind the bar. I don't think like guests or you know people listening to this podcast who are not bartenders wouldn't be like, oh, I love creme de banana, have it in my house. But it's a it's a really popular modifier from a bartender's perspective. Um, it's it's a great way to add some cool flavor when you don't have like a banana syrup in the bar. You can make a delicious like banana daiquiri. So I would say also like the most used modifier would be vermouth. And we can look at that because of cocktails. Think the martini that usually is made with dry vermouth and the Manhattan is made with sweet vermouth. Um, vermouths were the very, 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 very commonly used in the origination of cocktails. And does a modifier always have to be alcohol-based? I mean, cocktails call for bitters or sometimes adding other types of ingredients. Are those considered notions or other flavors but not modifiers how would you define those yeah so bitters are are made of alcohol and when they're used in dashes which is the, the way the bottle's built it has a plastic cap on top which only allows a dash to come out at a time that would just be considered add bitters it, um if you take that plastic cap off and then add say a half ounce of angostura bitters then that would be considered used using it as a modifier i see one of my favorite modifiers right now is sherry wine. The sherry wine coming out of Spain, oftentimes it has like these oxidative notes and they kind of are nutty and savory. And so add that splash of that to a cocktail and you'll get this, um, it'll take the cocktail from being sweet or sour to like kind of savory nutty and it would be delicious with like almonds or like charcuterie and cheese plates. A little bit of sherry in cocktails is extraordinary. Delicious. 
it's very much like um, a blending um, fragrances. You know, I'm developing a line of fragrances right now. And it's interesting that flavors and fragrance really do act the same way. And, you know, it affects you the same way. Uh, you know, flavors, fragrance, and music occupy sort of the same place in the brain when it registers within us. And it all conjures up sensory memories and feelings. So when you taste something or drink something or smell something, you go back to wherever you were on the planet. I have a friend, he has a um, Instagram page, Global Martini, and uh, it takes us to different destinations around the world. And it takes us back to a vibe or a moment like you're in Santorini and you're drinking uh, a cocktail made out of, uh, made with a modifier, mastica. Mastica is an amazing flavor uh, added to something. Or having a dry martini in the Duke's bar at the Duke's Hotel in London with, uh, you know, chic laughter filling the room. Or uh, speaking of Italian, uh, Negroni in Rome. Uh, so it's the essence of, you can have a cocktail wherever you live and it'll take you back to that global journey that you had when you first experienced those drinks, uh, which is pretty marvelous. There's a really cool spirit. I don't know if many people are familiar. It's called Velvet Falernum and it's, it's coming out of Barbados and it's a, it's a cane distillate, sort of like rum, and it has layers of almond and clove flavors to it. And that, that's a really incredible modifier to play with adding to classic cocktails like the margarita. Add a small splash of that to your margarita. Add a small splash of that to a daiquiri. You can even add some to a, an old-fashioned. And you'll get like this, um, it's going to be so, so subtle, but just like this layer of flavor that's just going to like hit you in, in the right way. And it could take you on a journey. Like you said, it could take you to a tropical island, but in a very subtle way. It's interesting. Would you say, um, just sort of linking flavors and fragrance, um, you know, in fragrance, uh, it's a, there's a, there's a top middle and base, yeah. uh, group grouping within the fragrance. Uh, is that the same as it is with cocktails? That's I'm so glad you brought that up. I talk about this in my classes. Um, I, I, in, in regards to the reason why you shake or stir a cocktail, shake a cocktail when there's citrus, but stir a cocktail when there's not citrus. And the reason why some people, if you look it up on the internet, they might say, because it bruises the alcohol. And, and what, what it really means is it's bruising the olfactory of the alcohol. So take uh -huh. a gin martini, for example, gin martinis have so, so, so many aromatics because the gin is, is um, distilled and infused with a variety of botanicals. And if you shake gin, um, the effect of, of moving the liquid quickly through ice will soften some of those aromatic properties, specifically the top notes. If you put that same gin in a glass and stir it with ice to chill the cocktail and add only a little bit of water, it will actually retain all the olfactory, the full top, middle, and, and base notes, um, which will give you a, a much broader cocktail experience because our, our palates and our noses are so tightly tied together, it really helps to keep that the olfactory intact. Amazing. You know, interesting, shaken or stirred. The same thing when you apply a fragrance. When you put it on your wrist, never rub your wrist together because you're breaking the molecules of those top notes and those middle notes. So you just let the the fragrance absorb into this skin without, you know, creating friction or heat on on the surface of the skin by rubbing it together. Same principle. Oh, I Amazing. Uh, I, I took a class once about, uh, it was a rum class at a, um, 
a location where they make fragrances. And we did a whole a whole class on smelling and mixing um, perfume, like layers of flavor, like we would a cocktail. It was brilliant. I love how closely tied these things are. They really are. Um, you know, you really have to be on your game. And a mixologist is much like a well-trained chef or a perfumer. Uh, before each unique cocktail, the mixologist studies the freshness of ingredients, which you had mentioned earlier, the modifier, the notion, and of course, the flavor compounds that will seamlessly work with the continuity of the food that we're eating or the country or the origin of the food. Um, what are some of the right cocktails for the right foods, for instance? That's a good question. I mean, I always just kind of take just take note from what people are already doing, right? Um, across the globe, specifically, we could just focus on Europe. There's a lot of specificity with where um, like wine is grown and then what foods are coming out of that same region. They work really well together. So oftentimes when it comes to cocktails and food, here's a secret. I look at wine. I look at wine and food pairings and then I take notes from, oh, if, if this spicy Thai food would taste best with a sweeter Riesling, well, I'm going to make a cocktail that's going to be just slightly sweeter like a Riesling, adding um, some layers of apple, sometimes almond in that cocktail. And that's going to balance out that spice from the Thai food. So oftentimes, it's, um, when I'm writing cocktail pairings for food, I actually look at wine first and then take notes from the wine to direct me in the right path. And that was also like where I first learned about alcohol was wine. So it's just tying in all the, um, the layers of learning I've, I've achieved over the years. Fascinating. Uh, before I eat French food or in the summer, I like uh, to have a pastis. I love uh, a Ricard um, and a modifier I mix with a Ricard is almond syrup with that. And it's just, they call it a maroc uh, or whatever, but it is great. Uh, um, I really love, I love seafood. I love raw seafood. A 50-50 martinis are the perfect pairing for raw seafood. A 50-50 pairing uh, uh, martini means equal portions of vermouth and gin or vodka. So give me a cold glass of, of a delicious botanical driven gin with a nice blanc vermouth from Spain stir that and make it chilled, add a lemon twist and give me a plate of oysters. And I'm going to be the happiest person on the planet. <laughs> you, you know, I'm trying to record this podcast and you're making my mouth really water. So, so, you know, uh, sort of be, be gentle on me here. Um, talk to me a little bit about, uh, the vibe or the mood of a cocktail. Have you ever mixed a cocktail based on that? Oh, I love that. Yeah, I have actually, uh, I, so I, I think and feel in color and, um, and, and sometimes at, at a bar, if, if a guest is sitting at my bar and they're like, I don't know what I want to drink. I say, well, what color do you feel right now? Just anything like you don't have to, you don't have to think too seriously about this. Just what color is coming up for you when I ask that question? And then I'll follow it up with questions like, do you like your cocktail strong, like a martini or sour, like a margarita? Do you like them bitter or spicy? And then I'll just whip them up a cocktail. What, what's your favorite spirit? And then I'll, I'll sort of combine layers of flavors and cocktails, depending on what I have behind the bar, and all based off the color purple. And it doesn't mean the cocktail is going to be the color purple, but purple conjures up so many different things, flowers and grapes and, um, and uh, I don't know, sometimes some, some aperitifs have a bit of purple quality to them. So it's, it's a really fun, it's a fun thing to play with, color in regards to cocktails as an emotion. It's uh, pretty fascinating. You know, the cocktail mixed with the right food and the right venue, the right vibe. It's great. It's like uh, 
a really key ingredient to uh, the, the, the feel of the event or the feel of the moment. It's like wearing an outfit. It's like you have to have the right shirt or the right blazer or the right shoes or whatever. It's the same way with a cocktail, I feel, when you go to a place uh, or you're, you're just having fun with a group of people, you know, to have, uh, you know, some tequila-based drinks or rum-based drinks or whatever. Sort of, you know, it fits in with the whole uh, ambiance of what's happening in the room or at the, at the, at the venue. I totally agree. Absolutely. So here we are. Summer is upon us. And um, I would love for you to mix something up for our listeners that could be a, a seasonal drink or just a, a great drink in, in, in general. So do you want to do that a little bit for us right now uh, on the podcast? Why not? I mean, tis, tis the time. It's always it's always time for a cocktail. Let's uh, do so it. Before we started this podcast, I prepared a syrup, and I'll make sure everyone can get the recipe for that syrup. But I like to make mine um, in mason jars. My whole my whole premise of my classes are about making cocktails in under twenty minutes with um, with with without using the stove because it just causes so much more time and multitasking and dirty dishes. And so in this syrup, I have lime peels fresh peaches because they just got into season finally uh, some salt sugar ginger juice and water and so i made i made that syrup before we arrived and everything's dissolved and, and mixed together and now we're going to make what i call the peachy keen last word so the last word cocktail is incredibly popular um it's oftentimes originally made with gin green chartreuse maraschino liqueur and lime juice mm. and what's fun about this cocktail we've been talking about modifiers in this podcast and this one features two different modifiers green chartreuse from france which is incredibly herbal liqueur and maraschino liqueur out of italy which is a cherry liqueur and um, pair that with some gin and lime juice and you have yourself a really cool herbaceous cocktail that's not too sweet or too sour so in place of the maraschino liqueur, I thought, let's bring some peaches and ginger to the party. Um, ginger is also going to play off the green chartreuse, giving some more of those herbaceous notes and just kind of making it a little spicy on the palate, which is really enjoyable. Um, and so here we go. This cocktail is an equal portions cocktail, which makes it really easy to follow along. You don't have to um, have any crazy measuring tools. You can just find um, a shot glass if you don't have a jigger and you can measure out equal portions of this ingredient, add it to a shaking vessel and give it a shake because we shake cocktails when they're citrus. So um, for this one, I'm gonna use gin, a three quarters of an ounce of gin. And then here goes my green chartreuse. Green chartreuse, three quarters of an ounce, perfect. And then I have my fresh lime juice that I squeezed right before this class. I always recommend using fresh lime juice um, because it tastes best. When, uh, when citrus interacts with oxygen, it can become bitter over time. So fresh citrus juice is really important to having delicious cocktails. And then finally, let me grab that syrup I made, the peach ginger syrup, and I'm gonna add a splash of that. Now, I mentioned in that syrup, I added some salt. That's the secret ingredient to delicious cocktails. It's just like cooking with salt. Adding a small pinch of salt to your cocktails um, is going really? to enhance the flavors of the, of the, of the cocktail experience, right? It's, it seems so simple, but... Um, it's just like a small pinch will just wake everything up. Wow. I know. I and then now uh, we're shaking this cocktail because it's made with citrus. So I have some ice in my shaker. Let me give this a quick shake. If you're using ice at home, you want to shake for about seven seconds. Um, there's a lot of science behind how long you should shake depending on the size or the density of the ice cube. But rule of thumb, seven seconds. Give it a shake. Uh, 
and uh, and then you're going to strain your cocktail into a glass. Now you can use the strainer that's built onto your shaker or like a Hawthorne strainer that has a spring. And additionally, after after I shake cocktails, I use a fine mesh strainer, and those um, those are going to catch small ice chips and and pieces of of like citrus pulp and that sort of thing that I don't want my cocktail glass. And by straining it through both strainers, you're going to have a more refined and smooth and silken cocktail, keeping out those small particulates that will cause a texture to be added. Um, I served this cocktail in a stemmed glass without ice, and uh, and I'm going to garnish it with one of those delicious candied ginger pieces. So yum. And uh, there you go. I raise a glass. Cheers to y'all uh, over over the podcast. And I, I, I hope to drink with you someday. That would be amazing. <laughs> Cheers to you too. And I'm drinking with you right now. I'm not having your cocktail, but you know what? This is fantastic. Uh, I think that that's going to be uh, a go-to uh, recipe for uh, a really, really cool summer cocktail and beyond. Uh, you can definitely do that. You know, and it's interesting. Uh, we've been talking a lot about cocktails, but, you know, I don't want to also um, ignore the people who just like to have mocktails. And talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I try to, um, it's really important that cocktails are inclusive. And what that looks like is some people don't drink and they still want to be social. And, and um, what's really cool, you could see it in a lot of bars, there's really awesome mocktails on cocktail menus and cocktail bars because we're trying to make it more inclusive and make sure that everyone can just hang out and have a delicious flavor experience without the alcohol. And that's not so hard to do. There's some really cool brands out there like Liars and Seedlip. These are companies that are making spirits that are non-alcoholic. Give them a look. They're really interesting. Um, and my tip for a home bartending um, to make a mocktail in place of alcohol, use some tea. If it's a clear spirit, I usually tend to go with green tea. And if it's a dark spirit, I tend to use black tea. But just make a, a cup of tea like you would usually, let it cool off, and then use tea in place of alcohol with a splash of orange juice for texture and sweetness. And, um, and you can follow a lot of cocktail recipes just using that swap. Great. Uh, you know, it's really fascinating. And uh, we've we've covered a lot of the juicy stuff uh, when it comes to uh, cocktails. But let's talk a little bit more about um, the nuts and bolts of your business, your industry. Is there a go-to most popular, most requested cocktail when you're working? Yeah, two things come to mind. Uh, the old-fashioned and the margarita. And this is why I think that is. I don't think those cocktails are particularly interesting or that delicious, to be honest. But they are well known. Any bartender can make them in whatever version they're going to. But it's a cocktail that's known. And so there's a safety net behind it where people come in, they look at a menu. It might be overwhelming because the ingredients list might have too many ingredients that are not familiar. So that feels scary. People want to feel confident and sure. And so they'll sit down and be like, oh, no, I'll just have an old fashioned because they know they're going to have something that's going to be delicious, a version of delicious to them. And so those are the most popular cocktails. But now if somebody is a cocktail enthusiast, um, they might call a, like a French 75, which is my favorite cocktail, gin, lemon, sugar, sparkling wine. That cocktail is ordered a decent amount, but from people who really care and like want to have a delicious cocktail experience. Another cocktail that's ordered quite a bit would be the last word cocktail. It's another sort of like call cocktail that that's been around for quite some time and it like makes people feel like they know a cocktail and and, and they know the cocktail scene a bit and so they they, they ask for that cocktail. 
sometimes people want to feel very interactive with the mixologist. And sometimes they'll say, no, I want it shaken or I want it stirred. Is there a mythology behind shaken and stirred? Oh, yeah. Like, like as in if someone's asking me for that specifically. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would say people do say like, I prefer it shaken. They don't, they don't, I wish, I wish somebody would come to the bar and like lean elbow on the bar and lean into it and be like, I'll have it shaken, not stirred, you know, very <laughs> I would die if, if I got that experience <laughs> with joy. But um, people do ask, like, I'll have it shaken. And, and here's, here's why James Bond won. He, he was like, oh, he was so cool and so sleek. He could get away with anything. And he wanted you to know he can get away with anything because he would order his martini shaken knowing that that was wrong. And two, it's important to know when you shake a cocktail, in seven seconds of shaking, you will achieve the same water dilution in two minutes of stirring. So when you shake a cocktail, it becomes way more watered down at a faster rate. When you stir a cocktail, it will become watered down only a little bit at a slow rate. And so James Bond was naughty and wanted you to know it, but he also didn't want to get too drunk. <laughs> a shaken martini will have more water, so he probably was better at his job. So this is a note to all of you working from home still. Just shake your martinis and you can drink more of them while you get your computer work done. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And of course, James Bond drank Vespers. He sure did. Yeah. Oh, that's speaking of Lillet, uh, that's a great modifier. Um, a Vesper is gin, vodka, and Lillet. A nice little combination of botanical vodka keeps it from being too botanical, and Lillet adds some florality and citrus notes. It's really delicious. Wonderful. Yeah, also, trends that are happening uh, right now, uh, vegan, it's not a trend, it's a lifestyle, but do you see yourself uh, evolving into more lifestyle type uh, cocktails? Do people ask you about, is this vegan? Oh, yeah. I, yeah. When I was working in a bar, certainly that would be, that would be something that would come up. We would, and as, as, um, as business, as working behind bars and working um, on teams, we, our menus would reflect that information. So that way, if, if, if someone's not able to answer the questions right away, the, 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 the guest can read on the menu that this would contain possibly dairy and no longer is vegan. Okay. What do you see for the future of mixology? It's mm, a good question. I think the pandemic really shown a lot of light on the fact that there's not a lot of equity in this business. I, I feel like a lot of my friends who have become have been very, very successful in in mixology and in restaurants. Um, having the break because of the pandemic has has helped us realize how, how often we were not valued and how um, valued at, as people with a craft and also valued financially. And there's the I think our system's broken. The restaurant system's a bit broken in that we work hard for for a paycheck by the you know, the people who own the business, but there's no like paid time off and sick pay isn't a thing and personal days can't be a thing. And, um, and, and, and there's, there's a lot of hard work and a lot of, I, I spend a lot of time learning and making sure I know all my things so that when I get behind that bar, I can give guests the best experience ever, but I'm not really compensated for that um, by the owner of the establishment. And that's going to be a change. I feel like people recognize their value and want to work in places where their value is is celebrated both um, enthusiastically and also monetarily. And I think that the future in mixology or the future in hospitality is going to be co-op bars where where the people who work at the bar have, have a, a stake in the bar and they get some equity from the bar. And I think that's the way we can move forward in making this industry 
a livable a wage for people all across the board within the walls of the, the establishment. Uh, and the future of it as an exologist. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm teaching classes virtually still. Um, it's been over a year and people are still interested in meeting over Zoom, over some cocktails. And so um, I'm doing that a few times a week. I, I, I've just been able to, now that I'm vaccinated, um, I'm, I'm doing classes at people's homes. I have an event this Saturday for a 60th birthday party celebration where um, I will make cocktails or I'll have stations set up where you can learn how to make cocktails. And so it's like, choose your own adventure. Um, right. If you want to get your hands wet on some ice, then we'll make some cocktails together. But, and that comes with, um, with first we have a, a phone call and I hear about their drinking preferences. And then I create these really unique and interesting cocktails based on what they're into these days and also the food they're serving, which is super important. Um, and additionally, I, I have a whole, oh, a whole list of cocktails I've taught over the last year. Um, virtually, I have a, a cocktail book I'm going to be working on because I'm all about making cocktails super accessible. I know a lot of us are not the most patient of people and it's easier to go out and get a drink, but I want to encourage people to drink better at home. And so in doing so, I have this like a uh, collection of cocktails that take less than 20 minutes to make from top to bottom. Fascinating. It's uh, very interesting. I, uh, I follow mixologists uh, on Instagram and uh, I consider you a celebrity mixologist. I, I love following you and I love uh, learning from you, but I think mixology really has come into its own. And uh, if you have a personality and love uh, teaching or evangelizing as you do, uh, you're, you're bound for success for sure. So, um, you know, I, I think this is like super great and it's just been such a fun, uh, podcast, uh, doing this with you and mixing up some drinks, uh, with you. Well, finally, you know, I'd like to ask you a question that I ask all my guests and that is, uh, Rebecca, what is your style philosophy? Hmm. My style philosophy, it's, it's, a, it's such a variety of things. Um, in regards to mixology and making decisions about um, what spirits to use, my style philosophy is supporting businesses who support communities and they support the people who are making the spirits. And so um, we could, you know, take a nod from tequila, for example. Tequila is made in Mexico by, by Mexican people. And sometimes uh, there'll be owners of companies who don't live in Mexico and they make a whole bunch of money on the products they're serving. And, and that money is not going back into the communities from which these, these spirits are being made. And so I think it's incredibly important to, to pay attention and to do research and to know what brands you love and support and to support brands that love and support their communities from where the spirits are coming from. Uh, globally. That's super important. Um, the next thing I have to say is it, it's, it's just the philosophy of life. It's the, it's the core value of loving and valuing myself. And if I'm not proactively learning how to love and respect and value myself, the love and respect and value I offer other people is foundationless. That, that's sort of the, 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 the grounding of which I do anything in life, um, be, be it my pink hair or, or uh, working, working in hospitality and training baby bartenders how to become bartenders or the way I, I engage with uh, as a guest sitting at a bar enjoying somebody else making me cocktails. That's the, that's the foundation of, of all that I do and all that I decide to do. Yeah. What a great philosophy. That was just wonderful. So Rebecca, here on Style Philosophers, we focus on guests like you who share 
uh, one thing in common that is, you know, uh, a passionate drive and a unique style philosophy. I think you are the perfect mix uh, of just that. Uh, thanks, Rebecca, for teaching us so much on this episode. I look forward to continuing my cocktail education with you. Um, tell us, where can our listeners find out more about you and your services and how to contact you? All right, wonderful. I just, I just updated my website, RebeccaPinnell.com. Uh, P-I-N-N-E-L-L. You'll find me there. And I have, uh, I'm on Instagram as well, Rebecca's Cocktail Classes. It's long, but accurate. I'm Rebecca. These are my cocktail classes. <laughs> so you can access me either there. Um, also on my on my Instagram, I have tons of recipes, again, with that 20 minute from top to bottom. Let's make cocktails, let's make them delicious, and let's make them easily. Terrific. Terrific. Yeah. Oh, man. I want to thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me on your podcast. It's so uh, important it feels very important to be able to have a space to share my love of cocktails with you and your listeners um, on this episode of the style of cocktails. <laughs> I, I love that. Following you as well on your Instagram, right? Style philosophers. Yes. And I encourage right. uh, all of my followers, of course, to subscribe and follow to your podcast. Great. Uh, the style of cocktails has been a deliciously intoxicating topic for me. I thank you again, and I hope you enjoyed this spirited episode as much as we have. Meanwhile, please listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow. You can also stream the programs on jasoncharles.net podcast network arts and culture shows. Stay current with all matters of style and upcoming programs by following us on Instagram and Facebook at Style Philosophers. Until next time, this is Michael Paris saying cheers and reminding you to be confident and live by your own style philosophy. Style Philosophers. With host Michael Paris on jasoncharles.net. For more information about Michael Paris and the Style Philosophers, follow at Style Philosophers on Instagram. Style Philosophers with Michael Paris is sponsored by The Bubble Collection, a fragrance collection that's genderless, ageless, and boundless. Scents that are so light, they'll just tease the air around you and others. Break out of your bubble, where you can dream, wonder, and create harmony. For more information about The Bubble Collection, go to thebubblecollection.com and follow them on Instagram at The Bubble Collection. JasonCharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.